This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, and welcome in to another episode of For the Good of the Game. My name is John Davis, JD, and I'm your host. And today I want to present similar perspectives about developing relationships with parents and coaches. Our two guests today represent those perspectives as leaders in the youth sports industry, but from two very different geographic and cultural areas. My first guest today is Gordon McClelland. Gordon is the CEO of Working with Parents in Sport, a UK-based company that works with sporting organizations to help parents and coaches navigate the difficulties they face in today's environment. He is the author of three books, two of which I have here, Two Hats, a book for parent coaches who are coaching or thinking of coaching their own children, and Great Sports Parenting, a pocket guide for parents of children in sport. Now, his third book, Engage, which I have not read yet, is a coaching guide for building positive relationships with parents. So of the two I've read, I highly recommend his work. He has a great podcast as well, and we'll get to all that in just a second. Our second guest is Heath Esslinger. Heath is the Director of Business Development for A Better Way Athletics, a U.S.-based company in Cleveland, Tennessee, just outside Chattanooga. Heath's experience as both a high school and Division I wrestling coach afforded him the opportunity to see the uh, problem areas, if you will, of sports culture from the inside out. So now, as both a leader and gifted speaker, he travels and shares his contagious message of a better way to engage, educate, and train both parents and coaches. A Better Way Athletics offers a sophisticated platform and multiple curriculums for both parents and coaches to help them evolve and positively impact the young people that they support. So it is with great pleasure and gratitude that I welcome Heath and Gordon to the program today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, delighted to be here. Now, um, with with all due respect to Heath, I, I had a commander when I was on active duty in the Army who used to start every meeting by giving the person who came from the greatest distance the opportunity to speak first. So while we are virtual, uh, Gordon is uh, Gordon is with us from the UK. So I am going to give him the first nod. And Gordon, I'd just like you to take a few minutes and really explain to our audience what working with parents in sport. Uh, does and how you got started doing it yeah well look it actually you know my backgrounds in in coaching and and teaching and education uh, uh, from a professional point of view and I've had the unique uh, coaching experience where I was a highly qualified young coach in my early 20s and I actually started coaching in men's sport and then I've worked my way back through elite under 18 sport coached a couple of national title winning under 13 sides in in rugby sevens and now I'm sort of working with under eights and under nine so I've basically done everybody's journey in reverse most people start the other way and go backwards I've always liked to do things slightly differently so I had that coaching background and then obviously I had my own um, two children and I took my son out to just play some local uh, soccer I'm bearing in mind I'm using the language that you guys will understand so so playing soccer um and I had the bizarre situation where a football scout came to me when he was at the age of three with a card saying, oh, we would like him to come and sign for a Premier League football club. But, you know, this is on. It was like, wow, what's going on here? And uh, 
he is right, Gordon, this is you being a parent. Who can I ring and tell the world? Because this is just the best ever. And then I had the other side of my head saying, what on earth are you thinking? You've been involved in coaching. You've been involved in education. This is just mad. So I went home and I had a look at, you know, sports parenting around the world. And you just couldn't find any information. I don't know what I was looking for anyway in the first place, but I was just looking for something. Um, and I recognized then that there was maybe, you know, you could find pockets of things around sports parenting, but it was never in the, it was never all in the same place. And I, I'm a big believer in two things. One is that everybody's got to be able to relate to it and understand it. So it's got to be written in those terms. And also people have got to be able to afford it. So we, we looked at setting about where nobody would be excluded and we would do all we could to make sports parenting cool, bring out some of the topics and do it. So th that was how it ultimately started. And then what it evolved into was the recognition that we didn't even have it as part of coach education. So we're doing mm -hmm. all these coaching courses on technical tactical and yet we've then got 10 parents baying for blood on the side of the field. And we've got these <laughs> young coaches who don't have a clue because they're not parents themselves. So we, we, we set about the coach education piece. Uh, and then it sort of evolved again. It was like, well, hang on. If we've done coaches and parents, we need to do the organisation. And I know Heath will agree with this because he said it last week. Unless we've got the alignment between the three key stakeholders then there's no way we can expect parental engagement to thrive. So we, we've ended up developing, uh, I guess, a company who work with organisations, coaches at grassroots and in Olympic pathway programmes. And we've worked with parents at the younger stages all the way up to parents who uh, have got their kids very close to professional sport or uh, Olympic levels. And we've done that with webinars, workshops, a, a, a website platform, podcast uh whatever it is we'll we'll try and find a way of getting out there and that's where we are today and it's it's, it's been a real privilege if i'm really honest that's outstanding I, I i think what what resonated with me the most at first is the fact that as a as a youth coach and i did take the the opposite approach to what you described uh when my kids were young is um, being on a field and having a military police car pull out onto a football field after a game I had coached because two parents had gone to fisticuffs at midfield. And I thought this is out of control. So it, the parent engagement part is super uh, interesting to me and very, and it resonates because I think in order to get to the kids, we got to get to the parents first. So Heath, if you don't mind, I'm going to switch, switch gears here and allow you to tell us a little bit about a better way athletics. Well, I think I could just uh, take Gordon's script and say, that's us. I mean, and, and, and what I love is, and a lot of people would say, you know, well, man, you guys are kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, we need more of us doing the same thing. I mean, we're not, we're not even touching it. I mean, and part of the issue as we travel around is because no one, no one is doing it, no one's doing it. Everyone sees the need, but like everyone does concussion protocol now because it's mandated and everyone – if you don't do it, you look like an outsider. And so we've got to make that become the norm in parent engagement and coaching development. So really, I, I spent 20 years in coaching. I was division one head coach. Um, I got two head coaching jobs and both times my, my athletic director told me good luck. So I was a 28 year old, 28 year old high school head coach who thought he knew everything, who was a successful college athlete. My AD said, good luck. And, and that was it. I mean, no joke. That was it. Fortunately, I had some great people around me. I didn't screw it up too bad. Then I became a division one head coach. They told me good luck again. 
I mean, my training and they handed me the keys to a Ferrari with no liability insurance. And so one of my passions originally was we have coaches who are fully capable, but they're either ill-equipped or exhausted. And so how do we come alongside those coaches and help them? Because like Gordon said, no one told you about this issue that was going to arise in the stands. Uh, just like with parenting, no one tells you what it's like when your kid has a stomach virus in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. and they're puking everywhere. You know, I mean, it's like trial by fire. And so the, the other side of that was, man, there was, there was the parent side of it. And here's what I truly saw as I began to navigate with my own children. I saw it as a coach, but I had great parents and was fortunate to kind of know some underlying things that made it easier for me. But what I saw with the parents is that you had really good people unintentionally making really bad decisions. And no, no one is, uh, I mean, even Gordon said, man, I've been in this and you get sucked into it, man. They think my kid's great. And so what we call it, I call it the parent trap. And ultimately what it is, it's a misapplication of love. And so for that parent, I, you know, I love little cute John Davis so much that I don't want him to miss out on any opportunity in life but that leads to some detrimental things later. And so I love what Dr. Tim Elmore says. He says, the further out I can see as a parent, the better decision I'll make in the future. And so we really just kind of sought to put together a, a, a platform and really a curriculum to help parents realize those feelings they have are okay. They're human. Like I'm not asking for those feelings to go away, uh, but here's what I'm trying to help you do. Let's put those emotions on the proper shelf. Because when we put those emotions on the wrong shelf, we hurt ourselves, we hurt our child, we hurt the organization, and ultimately we hurt our community. And so we just want to be a resource to help parents manage those emotions, put them on the right shelf, and so that they and their child look back at the sport journey and say, what a blessing. I mean, our, our, our vision is simple. We want to restore the joy of sport for coaches, parents, and athletes. This thing we call sport was supposed to be fun. Amen. I, I go to middle school events for my children. And I'm like, these people are, I'm like, this is seventh grade volleyball. Who cares? You know, we're all going to Chick-fil-A afterwards. It's really not that big a deal. Uh, so how do we help them gain perspective there? Well, I tell you, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I did not coin the phrase. I don't know whether uh, I may have seen it in something one of you two did or wrote or, or whether it was uh, in another uh, medium, but uh, in, I came across this, this thing called DPD, delusional parent disorder. And um, I, I certainly had it. I mean, when my youngest son was playing little league and, and I got this thing in the mail from the um, who's who, in, who's who in, in national little league. And, you know, and, the, and all it was, was a, uh, I'm not going to say it was a scam, but it was a program where your kid could be listed in the book. And Oh, by the way, we've got these hundreds of memorabilia that will put his name on and sell you for a, a pricey, uh, pricey thing. So, you know, we tend to, as, as Gordon described initially, get sucked in to that when we succumb to that delusional parent disorder. Um, I, I, I teach a lot when I talk to coaches and parents, uh, I, I break the word fundamentals down into different words. And, and the first one being the first three letters, fun. And sport was intended as Heath just said. So with that, with that in mind of the fact that you've got to rope parents in sometimes, um, do you guys each see that in your, uh, in your environment? whether you are at an event as a parent or you're speaking to parents, do you still get some resistance along those lines that people want to, you know, say, yeah, but I know what's best for my child. Heath, I'll let you go first this time. 
Well, here, here's the thing I always get is that I've never met someone that didn't think that what Gordon and I and what you coach are doing is very needed. The problem becomes is no one thinks it's them. And so the reality of it is, is, and you, you diluted, I love that DPD. That wasn't mine. We'll give that credit to Gordon because I just wrote it down first time. Uh, even if Gordon didn't say it, we're going to give him credit on this show. It's but, actually, it's actually on a blog on the site that I haven't, you know, that was been up there for a couple of years. He's actually brought back some memories there. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. But what, what I call it is, and it, this is a little more, I guess, uh, PG 13, I just call it simply sport prostitution. And unfortunately, the parents and the coaches have become the pimp and we're using the kid for his skill sets or talents or whatever. And so do I think there's resistance? Yes. Here's what we've discovered. When we begin to journey through this with the parent, because again, no parent sets out to screw the journey up for their kid. No one goes, hey, we're going to go so hard at seven, eight, and nine that they're going to quit at 11. No parent ever says that. But because they lack perspective and a little bit of maturity and maybe even some knowledge on this whole journey, they begin to make decisions that are unhealthy. What we see, though, when we begin to really have like meaningful conversation with parents is that most of our parents tell us two things. One, I feel liberated. Thank you. I don't have to go down this road. I don't have to spend thousands of dollars at seven. All right. The second thing we often hear when a parent runs, like goes through our, our coursework or on a, a simple webinar that addresses anything is they usually say, man, I wish I would have had this with my oldest child. Uh, no, again, we have to give grace to these people because they're not doing it on purpose. Listen, I was a coach and I made some really stupid decisions. I'm a parent and I make some really bad decisions. I don't wake up and say, hey, I hope I screw this up. But without perspective or a little bit of maturity or knowledge, I can. And so what I see, I really believe, and it's why I'm so grateful for Gordon and what he's doing. I think there's a hunger for change. And I want to make sure that in the midst of that hunger, we're feeding them the correct stuff because that's where we're going to see real change take place. Yeah, I do. And that's a perfect segue into my next question because I see uh, so many times a a minority of parents on the sidelines who probably practice and preach what we're talking about. And then there's the majority who are there, whether you call it, um, you know, DPD or whatever, you, you know, it, it's the people that are living vicariously through their kids and, and superimposing their own desires and, and, and goals on their child. So Gordon, when you look at the programs that you guys offer and the organizations you work with, do you think it's more, parent engagement, coach education, or is it really kind of a healthy mix of both that we need the most to kind of get this movement growing? Oh, I, without a doubt, I think, you know, everybody's got to take a, you know, a good look in the, in the mirror at what, what's evolved over the last, you know, 50 years. Because, you know, if we look at it logically, when we talk about some of those behaviors that, that parents struggle with, half the time it's because of the system that we've set up. So, you know, when you're, when you're in my position and my son's getting a nine-year-old football contract, I mean, he still is in a Premier League football academy. He's now 12, which is a miracle in itself. But, you know, when you're chasing something at nine, 
Well, of course, you're going to get people making stupid decisions and trying to chase it and whatever else. But I think as sports have started to recognise this over here, those selections are becoming much later on. So even at national level in certain sports, people aren't picking sides till they're under 16 when we've gone through puberty. Because we all know, quite honestly, with talent ID pre-puberty, we may as well chuck a thousand eggs against a wall and hope five don't smash. That's and then right. say we're brilliant at picking out athletes because, you know, so much can can change. So I think that what the organisation set up lends itself to some of the behaviours that we see from parents. And likewise, I think if we had clubs who were saying we're all about development, let's say, and developing people physically and holistically, and it's going to be really good environments to work in, and that was the slogan, then we need our coaches to be living and breathing those behaviours. It's no good as saying that to parents that this is what we offer if we've then got a coach shouting every five seconds at players and yelling out instructions, and then expecting us to turn around and say, hang on, but you can't do that behind me. Because we know it's not good coaching for anybody to yell instructions because we want kids to make their own decisions. But we then can't think we're a higher power as the coach and say, well, you can't do that, but I can do that as well. So what we actually need to do is peel this all away and say, hang on, what does a really good environment look like? What, what are we trying to do as coaches? Obviously, we want really engaging sessions. We want good coaching, which all three of us hopefully you know, understand what, what that looks like. But actually, in bringing in the parents, we need to then be seen to be celebrating when the players that we've got are showing determination and resilience yeah. and communicating well and adapting well and are showing creativity and using the language so that parents then realise, hang on a minute, there's far more to this than whether or not we won 2-1 on, on, at the weekend. because And the kids need to understand this as well, that it isn't just about the outcome. You know, and this whole idea that we've got to use this language that, and, and hey, don't get me wrong here, I'm the most competitive person in the world as well. And I always say that in all my workshops. You know, I have to start with a disclaimer saying, I just want you to know I am one of the most competitive people in the world and I'm not one of these happy, clappy, laissez-faire people who don't value winning. However, winning is just part of that sporting journey and it's how we frame it is the most important. So we've got to do that as organisations. We've got to do that as coaches. And only when we've lined up those messaging and what a really good environment looks like on match day in terms of how it's perceived around watching our kids, can we then say to parents, guys, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is what it's going to look like. And I seem to have got coined with the phrase, we've got to paint the picture better. We've got yes. a perfect picture. We know what it looks like. We know that we're guessing pre-puberty. We know that they're going to go through periods of struggle. There's no point trying to sort of react to it when it happens. Let's not just share it and get, and, and get it out there in the first place. So I think everybody's got a part to play. But without the uh, organisation and coach aligning themselves, I think it's then going to be very difficult to get your parents on board. Yeah, one of the things that um, it, it kind of drives me is in 2010, I discovered the statistic that 70% of kids in the United States stopped playing youth sports by the age of 13. And that stat is still true today based on the most recent uh, state of play research done by uh, the Aspen Institute. So I, I go back to what I came up with the little phrase that I use in some of my talks 
that I want to be able to build an environment where more kids play more sports for more of their lives. And if you look at it's funny what you just talked about, and I dovetail on that idea of, of aligning everyone is that there's been a long-term athletic development model that's been out. It's been, it was utilized probably the best by Canadian hockey uh, early on. Um, and it has been adopted by a lot of organizations uh, in the U.S. now. And, and it essentially identifies that a child's athletic development is in a window of, you know, it can be physically three years younger or three years older than their chronological age. And, mm -hmm. and, and that gets at what you were talking about, Gordon. And Heath, I think you guys have identified that, too. So I want to I want to kind of move into an area and, and let you counterpoint to what Gordon said. But I'll, I want to bring this up. The latest research by Evergreen Research shows that the youth sports, competitive youth sports industry is about a $17 billion effort in the United States. I, I didn't even go outside the continental U.S. to look and see what the numbers look like. So the growth of travel teams, AAU and all that. And I'm not bashing any of that. A, a lot of people have heard me say things that say, sounded like I was attacking those and they're not. My kids played travel sports when they got old enough, but it's not right for every kid. And I think sometimes we get sold a bag of goods and it kind of goes back, Gordon, to what you were talking about initially, the coach coming up to you and saying, Hey, I'm a premier league guy. You're your three-year-old son, you know, and they get you into that track and take them out of, you know, the grassroots local stuff that gets them moving, which I think does a beauty. So Heath, with, within that context, within the competition for travel teams and all of that, yet a lot of parents just want their kids to get out and move and learn and have fun. Um, what do you think about this up or out mentality that we've developed and how do we get back to building just the grassroots piece uh, so that more kids are out just enjoying being together and having fun? So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on like two or three different things. One, I think we have to be careful using that statistic 70%. A lot of kids at 13 aren't playing anymore because they got cut. And so, you know, there's a lot of kids not playing organized sport. Mm -hmm. But let's make sure that we've made them fall in love with sport enough that even if they don't have the talent, they would still participate in activities. You know, we've placed so much social capital on organized sport because it becomes a validation of who we are that it's kind of dangerous. So to me, it's like I just want a kid to fall in love with like if it's, it's cycling or if it's badminton or if it's volleyball. We're like, dude, they just love going and playing beach volleyball at the local sand court because, dude, coach was awesome. Remember when coach did this? Like they're terrible. They're five, eight and you know, 190 pounds. I mean, they're not built for sand volleyball, but they just love the game. And so we have to, here's what it boils down to. And, and even using this word competitive, we have more, we have more kids participating in competitive sports than we've ever had in the history of the world at young ages. Yet what we hear often is we have less competitive kids at the upper ages. Here's what I truly believe. In our attempt to teach competitiveness, we're teaching complacency. Listen, a nine-year-old can't be here 150 times a year. It, it's, it's unrealistic. And so I believe this. Here's how we fix it. We got to change the scoreboard. All right? And, and I say it like I truly don't think like we should keep score till the kid's about 13 or 14 post-puberty. Like now, before then, are the kids going to keep score? Yes. Sure. They're they going to. It's fine. <laughs> But here's what I've discovered in just my own journey. I have no research to back this up. Uh, maybe Gordon does. He would share it with me. But here's what I've discovered in my own parental journey and coaching journey. Scoreboards don't create competitive kids. 
they create overzealous adults. That's it. Hmm. And so they don't create competitive kids. First of all, a scoreboard doesn't, doesn't mean you're competitive. It could just mean you're a baby. All right. You just pitch a fit when you lose. And so the competitive kid is the kid that at 14 or 15 is getting up at 6 a.m., changing their diet, sleeping better, making sacrifices. Winning and losing has nothing to do with being competitive. Sacrifice has to do with being competitive. Am I willing to adjust my life to attain this goal that I say is important? You can be competitive academically. You can be competitive in your marriage and say, I want to be a great husband or, or parent or whatever. And so I believe it boils down to we have to change the scoreboard. And it goes back to what Gordon said. That's painting a new picture. Let's stop celebrating. Like you're like my, my son last year, we played flag football. It was awesome. It's one of the greatest youth sport things there is. 20-minute half running clock, two-minute halftime running clock, 20-minute half running clock, 42 minutes, and you're out. It's the greatest parent <laughs> thing ever. And so, but here's the reality. Two years ago, they, they didn't win. It was a second and third grade lead league. They didn't win because they were second graders. The next year, they crushed everyone in the league because they were third grade. They were like 15% older than the other kids. Well, to me, like, who cares? Just let the kids play. Let's just show up. If there's this lack of opportunity because of safety and all these different things, let's show up to these fields, throw the flags and the balls out there. Let's let them play. And then let's go over there and sit and hang out and talk. But as soon as we turn that here, there's not even a scoreboard. There's a little flip chart. As soon as we set that flip chart on the side of the field, the, the kids gain nothing. The parents just get crazy. And so to me, it's, it's a removal of the false competitiveness and it's an, it's an infiltration of what does it really, how do we set this kid up for the future? Cause here's what we see in America and Gordon, it's may not be true where you're at, but this is what I saw at the division one level that kids today have gifts and skills that get them to a room. Their character won't allow them to stay. And that's because we're using the wrong scoreboard early. And so like for my children, Listen, they probably picked their parents wrong to be an elite level athlete. I mean, look at me. All right. My daughter's probably not playing, you know, you know, in the Olympics. But here's what I do want to make sure of that whatever level her genetics and her desire can get her to that I've given her the character to stay in that room. It may simply be motherhood. Well, I hope that I've given her the character to be a great mother or a great doctor or a great teacher or a great coach or whatever. And so we have to change the scoreboard. And we have to communicate that that scoreboard, what that scoreboard is as a coach, director, parent, whatever. Now, just just jumping on that, John, because I think there's a, there's a few fascinating bits that that he's come out with there, but around you know obviously changing the scoreboard, which I think is a, a, a great saying. The reality is, whenever we run any workshops over here, and away from pressure and away from competition, I actually say to parents, you know what, I'm not Gordon McClelland, I'm Houdini out of Aladdin. And I'm going to give you three wishes of what you want for your kid to gain from their sporting experience, right? So they sit there in the room and they stick them up on post-it notes or they do it virtually now in the chat function. And I would say nine and a half times out of 10, what I get down the side is uh, resilience, uh, friendships, uh, yes. good communicators, feel good about themselves, all these amazing character skills. And it's like, wow. You lot are absolutely brilliant. You, you, you're absolutely bang on. You could not be looking at this in any better way. And then you say, but actually, that isn't the challenge. 
Because what is the most popular question still asked by a parent to their child if they're not an, at an event? What is it? How'd you Did play? You win? <laughs> Did you win? Yeah. Did yeah. you win? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Followed by the second most popular question that then's asked if the kid said no is, did you score? Followed by the third question, oh, well, were you the best player? Kid says no to all three. We've shown the kid that all we value is the outcome. That's all everybody then values. And that's the end of the discussion for another week. Now, that's the challenge. So if you get parents to start looking at the sporting journey through a different lens. And look, I get asked this question probably more from sports parents than any other question. Gordon, how do I know that it's all been worth it? And I'm probably on about take 155 now, <laughs> trying, to, trying to get this right. But what I've come up with is, if you have used sport, which still remains one of the safest vehicles today, to equip your children with the wide range of life skills that we've just talked about, so determination, resilience, good communicators, adaptable, self-organized, creative, um, good communicators, good decision makers, all those humility, some humility in there being humble, then it's been, and then that allows them to thrive in whatever walk of life they go into, then it will have been worth every ounce of time, money, and investment. But now, come on, let's, if we see it in our kids, those key character traits let's see it let's cheer it let's yes. use, let's use the language not worry about the score but say i loved your determination today i loved it when you tried that thing and you were really creative i know it didn't quite work but don't worry about that because it might work next time don't get so and actually changing the language we use with our kids because he's right so many kids now are fundamentally lacking in these skills that they're going to need when they grow up. And it's not intentional. We all love our kids. Yeah. But unless they understand what they mean and that they actually carry value rather than just the win or loss on the scoreboard, it's going to be really difficult. Yeah, I know parents I've spoken to after workshops have gone away and said, wow, this has just changed everything. Because mm -hmm. I stand there now, and actually, if your kid did a lot of those life skills I've mentioned in a given game, pretty much guarantee they're going to have done pretty well as well. That's right. Whether, but, yeah. you know, whether, whether they're at a trial or they're in a game, if you're ticking off seven out of 10 every week, you've got to be like, oh yeah, we're in business here. Okay. But again, it's, you know, it's controlling the controllable side of it. It's a lovely way to watch sport. It's a lovely way to oh. view it. Yeah. I tell you what, I, I, I go back to John O'Sullivan's Ted talk in 2014 and he he talked about the five words he wants to hear parents say, I love watching you play. And if you can start at that level and communicate to your child that you're there to support them, regardless of the outcome. And as long as they are taking on that mindset, and I would say it's a growth mindset, even as a young person of how do I become a better teammate? How do I improve? You know, um, it was interesting. Uh, there's a guy named Larry Sinners who played NFL football and came from a kind of a humble background and, and didn't get on the field right away. And, and it go, it, it, our, our conversation alluded to the fact that you've got to be so good they can't ignore you. And he said, but to get to that point, all those things I'd learned from life skills and, and from teachers and coaches throughout my life got me to that point. And I think that's where we have to start as parents and coaches. And that dialogue has to exist. So Heath, I want to go, I want to go at this. Um, you know, how do you recommend 
for coaches specifically, when we're talking about relationships with players and parents, how do you recommend that coaches start that conversation, if you will, to help coach that parent to being more supportive of what they're trying to achieve and teaching the kid, their, their child, those character traits we're talking about. Well, I have a good mentor that, that said to me once, he said, Heath, you can never be a tour guide to a land you're unwilling to visit yourself. And so I think it starts with a coach looking at everything is self-awareness. Uh, the coach, we have to get the coaches to most coaches really do want what's best. I, I really think deep down they do. They just don't know how to communicate it. And, and we, have, we have built this uh, wall between us and the parents where we're almost afraid of them. I mean, literally, in, in a lot of coaches, it's insecurity. They say, I just don't care what they think. No, you care so much what they think, you don't want to hear it. And so a lot of it's <laughs> yeah. insecurity. So we've got to tear this wall down. And, and Gordon listened to the, the thing we did the other day with athletes, and it's we have to be willing to invite the parent on the journey. Listen, when you have a, when you have a family's money, time and their most prized possession in their child they're with you whether you like it or not and so let's put them in the right seat and let's tell them where we're going and let's celebrate some of those intrinsic things and one of the things we say with coaches to start with is if you don't define the standard for your people they will gladly define it for you and so here's what's happened if the only thing we measure is performance and playing time parents are going to complain about performance and playing time but if we are measuring if our scoreboard measures effort and teamwork and diligence and and gratitude and we're sell i'm sending emails to to the team going hey man just want to celebrate gordon today man at practice he was so grateful for this opportunity here's what here's what we've discovered i never had that message Heath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that goes back to that competitive gordon yeah. <laughs> so, oh, cheers yeah so so, so here here's the reality of it most parents aren't frustrated over playing time at the root. It's the symptom. Playing time is the symptom because it's the only thing we measure. The, at the root of the issue is that they feel that their child and their effort isn't being validated. And so if the only thing that validates our effort and our child is playing time and performance, well, when, when my kid sits the bench, I'm pissed off. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so if we're validating other things and we're learning how to communicate that to them and we're like Gordon said, the first thing we tell coaches to do, like in your first parent meeting, just connect and celebrate with your parents, man. Don't even tell them what you need from them. Like, and we actually take a sheet of paper just like Gordon does. And we say, Hey, write down the five things you want your child to be when this journey comes to a close. Never one time have I had a parent, write, I want them to be a division one athlete. I want them to be more responsible. I want them to be more accountable. So then when I have a meeting with that parent throughout the year, because little Gordon got put on the bench because, you know, he was being selfish on the field or whatever, I sit down and say, well, hey, you guys said that you wanted to partner with me to help Gordon be more selfless. And so the reason he's not playing right now is because we want to journey with you and helping him become that person because we know long-term it's going to be the thing that gives him an ultimate advantage. And so like, I, I think we just have to give coaches some tools and some strategies and permission to put the parents in the boat with them. Because if they're, if you don't put them in the boat with you, they're going to get in your boat at the wrong time. And it's a disaster. Well, I, I have a, I have a section in my parent engagement seminar that says, you know, 
kids don't come with an owner's manual. And if I wish, (laughs) yeah, whether you're on your first child or your fourth child, there are still things that you're going to learn. So to me, it's reminding those coaches that most parents, even if they have the right attributes in terms of publicly supporting their child and, and all the things that you, you two gentlemen have talked about, they may still need a little bit of instruction and leadership in terms of the off the field side. And there are so many different ways you can engage with that, whether it's you know looking at report cards periodically or having those periodic meetings. And I think a lot of those things are, um, are so valuable, but they get overlooked because quite frankly, in today's busy world, everybody's running at 98 miles an hour yes. and coaches won't make the time to do those. Uh, and, and I don't know that, I think a lot of organizations also have the notion that, you know, if you're working with a grassroots public uh, organization that is mostly volunteer coaches, that, that coaches won't take the time uh, or potentially spend the money to get trained. And I have found that with several of the people I've interviewed to be the, the opposite is true, is that coaches that are really into it and want to do a good job will take that time and spend that money to go get the training so that they can do a better job and impact kids more effectively. Um, what do you, you know, we've been dealing with this pandemic now for a year plus. Um, what do you guys think is, uh, is possible in terms of, in the environment we talked about earlier with, uh, all the competitive sports. And, and, and I, I realize I'm using that word again, Heath, but um, in, the, in the larger world of all the travel teams and all the, all the opportunities that kids have to move away from grassroots parks and rec type of sport uh, that we have here in the States, what do you think we need to do to kind of get back to that at a very basic level and encourage more young people to get involved in motion and movement, uh, you know, given the fact that we're starting to kind of come out of the pandemic a little bit and parents are starting to get a little more comfortable with having their children participate. Gordon, do you guys see anything that you think can be amplified to help build that over in the UK? Yeah, look, I think, I think the reality of all of that, it goes back to perspective, doesn't it? And, and we've allowed these programs to gain traction over the years, haven't they? And, and, and actually, if we probably... Uh, needed to look at sport again the very sad thing is you'd probably rip all those travel teams up wouldn't you you'd probably completely scrap them if we went back to zero and said what's the best for the kids in their environments and in their communities and how do we create those um create those pathways i mean in the uk i think the 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 key to this is we've got to sell what the wider benefits of sport and physical activity are you know, for, for example, in, in um, I'm doing some work in different swimming national governing bodies. And we've got this idea where, you know, the kids go to learn to swim at a very early age because parents value them, you know, being safe in water. They get badges. There's really cool apps with cartoon characters. They get to a certain level. So you're always measuring progress. And then we jump from that into, oh, swimming. Does that mean five o'clock starts every morning and a million lengths? And then we're surprised that we're surprised that nobody wants to do it. And I think we're going to have to be far cleverer at selling our product. And I think based on what we've seen in COVID as well, there's going to have to be a far greater human interaction, far greater connection, a far greater importance than, as, as Heath alluded to earlier, than just the scoreboard and what they achieve. And we, we, we shouldn't just have 
performance strands in sport. Some people aren't playing sport to be elite athletes and, and have never even worried about it, but they want to play sport because they enjoy it and they like being out with the mates. And I think we've got to try and make sure that we've got programs for all people. But I think whatever those programs are, we've got to paint the picture so parents are aware of what they're actually signing up to and what to expect. And to Gordon's point, like we have to be careful, those of us who are leaders in sport, to diminish or minimize those who want to play sport just to play sport. It doesn't mean they're less competitive because this kid's got an engineering degree and built a bridge across, across a ravine that you and I are going to trust that our cars can cross. And so, again, we've placed so much social capital. My brother is a pediatric dentist, John. Wow. He, he owns 11 dental offices. My wife says she married the wrong Esslinger. He participated in sport. He participated in sport, but it was never his thing. Does that mean he wasn't competitive? No, he was competitive in a different area. It paid off for him. He's got a much bigger house than me, a nicer boat. Like, I mean, and so we have to be careful because here's what I hear people in my circles will say, oh, well, that kid's soft. He don't want to really go all out. I'm like, first of all, soft is relative, all right? It's relative. And so we've got to make sure that as we speak and our language is, is as we talk about these things that I love what Gordon said, like there's different tracks of sport. There's not all of us have to be a doctor when we go to college. Thank God I would have failed out. <laughs> and so, but in the sport world, it's like, it's either by golly, you're, you want to be an elite level athlete or you're a sissy. And that's just absolutely insane. Some, and, and guess what? Sometimes the kid that didn't realize he wanted to be an elite level athlete at 10 kicks the kid's tail at 17. Yes, sir. That was, that was fake tough at 10 years old, you know? Well, and I think that goes back to the, the LTAD, the long-term athletic development pieces. So many kids that, that, <clears throat> that do play grassroots parks and rec sport uh, get so much out of it and they may either take a break or start later on. I mean, I know a, a bunch of division one athletes and former NFL guys who will tell you that they didn't start playing football until high school. They were doing other things, but they didn't start playing high school. It's, it's, it, I, I love the phrase that you talked about Heath with the social capital, because I think we place so much social capital on our kids competing to get scholarships to go to college that we don't look at, and, and there have been at least three major studies that I know of that started fairly quickly when coronavirus came out that have all looked at the impact of isolation on child, uh, children's um, mental well-being. So we've seen an uptick in anxiety, depression, suicide, you know, all these things, mm -hmm. domestic abuse uh, and, and, and things among adults. And I think that if parents begin to realize that there is value to movement and interaction, and when yes. we can safely do that to encourage their children to get out, even if it's not even organized, just kids going. My kids, when I was on active duty, used to go up. We were in North Carolina, the land of the pine tree, and they would go out and do pine cone wars. I mean, yeah. that's and they do it for hours. And um, so I, I just think we have to find a way to encourage at that grassroots level, uh, you know, the kids getting out and really playing just for the sake of movement because of all the benefits it has from a physiological standpoint to help them build, you know, not only bod strong bodies, but strong minds. Um, I want to kind of 
begin to, to steer toward winding down a little bit, but I want to get back at something that each of you have talked about and give each of you a chance to, uh, to uh, kind of uh, promote what you do uh, so that folks that may see this can, can check out your websites and books and things like that. Um, with parent and coach engagement, it's, it's important that people have that self-awareness that Heath mentioned earlier, uh, regardless of what level they're, they're at. But I also think that it's valuable to get the instruction to be able to say the right things because many times either we're not self-aware or we've heard something that can be destructive and we say the wrong things and steer the boat in the wrong direction. So if you could each address from your perspective, Heath with a better way and, and Gordon with working with parents in sport, um, what do you do to kind of guide parents and coaches curriculum wise in that right direction to say the things that need to be said and help guide these children in the right direction. Heath, I'll let you go first. Well, I mean, we have an online virtual training platform. We obviously do live events and webinars and things like that too, but he here's where it really boils down to. And, and we call it the parent playbook, how to maximize your child's athletic journey. And again, we Gordon and I have both used this word over and over. It's perspective. And so, you know, one of the things we teach parents is don't get so consumed with what matters now, you lose sight of what matters most. I mean, yeah, that seven-year-old game seems huge. And, and when your kid get asked, gets asked to be on that select or travel team, it feels really good. But don't think too much of when they do get asked and don't think too much of when they don't get asked. Uh, one of the words I love is yet. Yeah, my kid didn't get picked yet. And so hope mm. is this is a great word that I use that – Hey, you know, today may not be my best day, but it's not my last day. And so, you know, I think helping parents understand that. And then one of the other things that I really try to communicate to parents is like, my job is not to provide my kid with all the best opportunities. Uh, sometimes that can create an ultra level of entitlement. And we see that in America today. I don't know if they see it in the UK, but it's like, good Lord, man. Like my job is to discern what are the right opportunities. Uh, so the, the word I love is maturation. You, you see parents like, I want to motivate my kid, motivate my kid. I just want to mature my kid. I want them to be able to walk on their own two feet one day and make their own decisions. And so, uh, you know, how do, how do we give our kids space to learn how to cope and learn how to manage relationships at the highest levels? Coaches tell me all the time, kids today have no coping skills. I'm like, well, we never let them cope. You know, they've never played a sandlot baseball game where they pick teams. We picked it for them. You know, no wonder they suck at being a leader. We've never, we've told them to be a leader, but we've never let them exercise anything to become it. And so the, 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 the last thing I would say is we really try to help parents understand like the importance of focusing on who their kid is becoming, not on what they are doing or achieving. And so after a game for me, I'm going to be evaluating in that game with my, with my children, things that I can praise that I know will help them become the person we know they can be. And then to navigate some of the things maybe they didn't do, but a win or a loss, I'm like, dude, you're, you're, you're 13. This has no barring on our future. Like, and my kids are, listen, I was a division one athlete. I've done an Ironman. I've done tons of marathons. I've, I've ridden my bike to Florida. Like I love doing the hard stuff, but I also know that everything's relative and that being willing to do those really hard things, it's a journey. A lot of times as coaches and parents, we want our kids to be now what took us years to become. At, at, I promise you, if I would have entered the sports world today, I would have never been a college athlete because the sport world, I started too late. 
my parents weren't super into it. Like it was like my parents could care less about sports. Uh, they were cultivating who we were, not a, what we were doing. Unfortunately, as Gordon said, the way the system is set up, sometimes it wouldn't even have given a kid like me a chance. And so what I want to make sure we're doing is making sure one parents aren't afraid to enter their kid late. Uh, you know, you may take a few beatings for a year, but you'll catch up really quick. Um, and then they're just focused on who their kids are becoming. So we have a virtual training platform. We offer it to schools, teams, sport organizations. Um, you know, listen, I, I'm not here trying to sell what we do. I'm trying to hear it. I'm trying to sell an entire mind shift. A better way athletics can't do it. We're going to be a piece of the puzzle. Working with parents in sport cannot do it alone. It's a piece of the puzzle. Now, together, I think it's a great multiplier. And, I, and that's why I'm so appreciative of Gordon and you, John, for just the, the teamwork. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, it's, it's going to be all about collaboration, this. We're not, uh, we're not doing the competition, competition piece, which we see in coaching or the products we're trying to sell. We're, we're not in competition at all. There's far too many people around the world. I think it's a joke. That <laughs> yeah. anybody, I think it's a joke that anybody thinks we're in competition. Until we've reached 10 million parents each, we can then have a discussion yeah. about Yes, about, about competition. Um, so yeah, absolutely, all about all about collaboration. But you know, the thing for me, uh, the great thing for me is obviously programs have to think about the wider meaning. Coaches need to think about their behaviours, but parents also need to understand, as as he alluded to, that we lack patience now. Society mm. wants instant gratification, and actually, the sporting development journey is a massively long one. And throughout that journey, it is full of ups and downs. And how we're judging a success on a seven-year-old is ridiculous. But likewise, actually, how we're judging the success of a 16-year-old is ridiculous. You know, we've got sports in the UK where the very best under-19 internationals struggle to then transition into the adult game. You know, you look at the athletics and the world athletics programs. How many of those youth Olympic athletes that won gold medals at the Olympic junior competitions actually even become a senior athlete? Never mind even get close to winning a medal. So how on earth we think we can judge that, you know, right at the beginning is mad. And I think, as, as he said, you, you know, where it is education, we never use education in our in our work because we think that rubs people up the wrong way. You know, we always use engagement rather than education, but in effect, it's education. Um, until we've explained to them that things like the 10,000 hour myth are an absolute joke, that it doesn't yes. matter whether you're any good at, at nine, or we actually try to dispel some of this stuff in the media that they think, oh, well, if I'm going to be brilliant, that means I can only do one thing for the rest of my life from the age of seven all the way to 18. But I'll tell you what, if I do that, I'm going to be a pro. No, you're not. It doesn't work like that. It's far more complex. And, and until we get it out there and allow people to reflect, and I'm sure he's the same as me. One thing I will always do in workshops is I will certainly never preach to parents. Yes. I, will never, I will never tell them how to parent in any way whatsoever. I will share my own massive failings as a sports parent, of which there were many, and they continue to be. But we've got to provide that space for people to be able to reflect, think about it and think, oh, you know what? Yeah, maybe that isn't the, the right way to go about that. And we're not, we don't do a good enough job in that for people to make the most informed decisions that they can. So, you know, you both touched on something that uh, I, I want to uh, kind of paint a thread here coming out of this discussion. And uh, it's, 
a lot of parents and coaches uh, are not humble enough uh, and not are not vulnerable enough to admit that they have made mistakes because they were brought up in an environment or in a generation that said, you're in charge. You can't admit you're wrong because that's a weakness. And I would encourage anyone out there to realize that as you bring your children through this sporting process, it is a journey. And both gentlemen today have talked about that. It's a journey. It's not a destination. And that journey has pitfalls. It has peaks. It has failures and it has wins. I raise my kids under the mantra that you either win or you learn. And that every time you, quote, lose on the scoreboard, as he so eloquently articulated, you are presented with another opportunity to learn and improve. Um, I think that if people can, you know, it's fine. I'm a lifelong Alabama football fan. And Nick Saban has preached this for his whole career. You got to trust the process. And if you get inside and look at what he does as a coach, it's not hard to understand how he has become so successful because he, he has a process that the players have, have to buy into. Those that don't go by the wayside. Those that do end up winning a lot of championships. But it's not about the championships. It's about becoming a better person in the process. Be, you know, mm -hmm. Even USA Football finally realized it. They changed it. They want to they talk to – they want to develop the human – they want to develop the athlete and then they want to develop the football player. So it's about person, athlete and, and sports specific development. And I think that the ultimate goal in sport is for us to produce kids, athletes and citizens that are better people. And, and if, if ultimately they learn those life skills and all the things that you gentlemen have so eloquently spoken about for the last 40 minutes or so then we're going to, you know, get that in terms of the result. And that's really where we want to be, in my opinion. So uh, I want to give each of you a, a parting shot. And, uh, and if you would, please uh, let folks know, and we'll put it in the show notes as well, but let folks know where they can, you know, get a hold of you or look at your organization and so on, if they choose to do so. Uh, uh, we'll go out in reverse order. Heath, you go first this time and I'll let Gordon close us out. Well, Anyone out there listening today, one, thanks for tuning in. And I hope that you took one nugget away that will help you, you know, maybe shape your perspective and, and know that none of us have it all together. I'm a parent of four. I'm still screwing up every day. I mean, because each kid is different. Each journey is different and each day is different. And so, but when we have some insight and we're aware of it, we can make better decisions. And so they can go to a betterwayathletics.com. They can follow us on social media. They can look up Heath Hessling or a better way athletics again. I, I know that this is Gordon's heart as well, just from being on this show today. Uh, our, our goal is not to sell anything. Our goal is to create change. Obviously, part of that is is generating, you know, some sort of model where we can duplicate this over and over and over and partner with people like Gordon and parent working with parents in sport. And so, man, look us up. If there's any way we can help you, we would love to do so. It's not going to happen overnight. Repetition's the key to learning, whether you're kicking a soccer ball or are, are trying to change your, your, maybe your attitude or emotions that have been present for a really long time. But we would love to join whoever in that journey to try to help make it better. Outstanding. Gordon? Yeah, yeah likewise. I mean, look, it's been a, an absolute privilege. And you know, I speak on uh, quite a few of these, as I'm sure, you know, Heath does as well. And this has just been an absolute joy for me this afternoon. Mm -hmm. The amount of passion on display, you, you know, in this podcast uh, has been amazing. 
Um, yeah, so, I mean, please check us out, um, www.parentsinsport.co.uk. We're also on social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter and Instagram at, at www.pis. And please, if we can help in any way or anybody even wants to send a personal email, I still uh, reply to everybody, whether that's via a Twitter message or whether that's by an email. And I'll do what I can uh, to try and assist as many people as I can. So, um, yeah, thanks, John, uh, for having me on. And, and he, thank you for uh, being such a great company on this. Great fun. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's been enlightening for me. It's reminded me, I took plenty of notes uh, because I'll use those in, in other episodes. And I go back to the beginning of this conversation. And as I did the intro, I said, I wanted to present similar perspectives. And it's unique, uh, unique uh, to me that you guys both uh, came at it from that direction and have shared things that, you know, parents and athletes alike can put in their kit bag, as we say in the military, and, uh, you know, carry with them to pull out whenever they need it. So Heath Esslinger, A Better Way Athletics, Gordon McClellan, working with parent, parents in sport. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I, I not only think this is a, it will be a wonderful episode, but it will also bring a lot of value to a lot of people if they can really internalize and take notes and uh, hopefully we'll reach out to you as well. So thanks very much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you.